This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Recently, a major study was released by a research team headed by Raj Chetty, a well-known economist at Harvard University. Chetty and his team reported that friendships were the key to economic mobility for those from households of low income. The study's been very favorably received. Here's a passage from the New York Times. Uh, it says, an expansive new study based on billions of social media connections helps explain why certain places offer a path out of poverty. For poor children living in an area where people have more friendships that cut across class lines significantly increases how much they earn in adulthood. And here's what the Brookings Institution says about this study. They say the findings are striking and certain to have a profound impact on discussions of economic mobility. The headline finding is that at the community level, cross-class connections boost social mobility more than anything else, including racial segregation, economic inequality, educational outcomes, and family structure. Now, that's an amazing set of findings there that uh, the Chetty team has come up with. And uh, it's a massive set of studies that have been uh, put together here. But is this report correct? Are the data really showing that friendships are the key to economic mobility? Well, that's the puzzle that Angela Dills, Danny Shaquille, and I have been pondering the past year or so. We've written a paper that we've just released entitled, Are Connections the Way to Get Ahead? We're taking a second look at the Chetty analysis and we come up with a few surprises of our own. So I'm very pleased to have Angela Dills with me today on the Education Exchange. She's a professor of economics at Western Carolina University in Cullowee, North Carolina. So thank you, Angela, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me. Well, Angela, Harvard economist Raj Chetty and his team have assembled uh, some pretty uh, interesting data, and they've been very generous to uh, put it up online so that other people can work with the data as well. So we are really indebted to them for sharing their information with us. And one of the most interesting things about the study is that they have, for the first time, a really good measure of intergenerational mobility. And so maybe you could share with our listeners exactly what is their measure of intergenerational mobility? Sure. So the way that they are going to that they measure intergenerational mobility and the way that we are as well, uh, because we're going to use their data on that on that variable is they're taking for those people who are at or below the 20th percentile, so the bottom quarter of the income distribution, children who are born to parents who are at the bottom quarter of the income distribution, where do they end up in adulthood? What is their income percentile in adulthood? And that mean income percentile in adulthood of a child born to parents at or below the 20th percentile, that's the measure we're gonna use. So we're looking at the income mobility of the poorest children. Or children so this from the is the families that are in the bottom 20%. And he's not looking at mobility for, for people who are already sort of, you know, at the middle or at the top or near the top. And do they make it to the very, very top? That's not what this is about. That's what a lot right. of middle-class people care about. <laughs> I get my kids from my level on up to the 
the multi-billionaire level. That's that's what I care about. No, no, that's not what I care about, but that's what a lot of people sort of think about. I hear conversations like this. So this is more of a genuine phenomenon here. How do we give opportunities to people who are really white, um, uh, short on, 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 on what is uh, desired in the context of US economy and society? They're in the bottom 20%. So 25th percent, 25%. Yes. The bottom quarter, 25%, 25%, yeah. yes, just yeah, to be clear, yeah. 25%, <laughs> sure. yes. Yeah. Um, so, um, so now then they have this friendship data, which they say is the key to getting from the bottom 25% up the ladder. And um, what is their friendship measure? But so they have really great data, which as you said, they've been really generous at sharing uh, that data, at least the part of the data that they can share that's kind of preserves the anonymity. But the data, so the data is from Facebook, and the data is going to look at friendships. And in particular, they're looking at friendships across different categories. And what we're going to focus on and what they focus on is friendships across socioeconomic class. Um, so they're taking what appears to be a whole bunch of data from Facebook. They're estimating people's socioeconomic status and then looking at their friendships. And um, we have two different measures. You want to talk about both of them? So we have one measure that we're going to call adult bridging, which is looking at friendships and the fraction of friendships that lower socioeconomic status people have with the fraction of their friendships that are with higher socioeconomic status people. Yeah, well, that's their key one, I think. That's the yeah. one they really place a lot of emphasis on. And we uh, we work with that um, that variable, which is basically going to friendship, going, you know, I don't ever use Facebook. I might, <laughs> on Facebook, my, my niece stuck me on there one day, but I never, never, so I have no, I do have some friends, they're all my relatives, but I, I never talked to my friends, a total social isolate. But most people have these friends that they communicate with on Facebook. I'm sure many of the listeners in our audience are people like that. And they look at, well, how many of your, what's the percentage of your friends that are actually uh, of a high, what's their income background or their socioeconomic background? So I think that's what they're looking at, right? Do you have a lot of friends? And so if you think of these are people who come from the lowest 20% of the population, what kinds of friends do they have? Are all their friends also from the bottom 20% or are their friends from higher up the social ladder? Is that, right. that Do they live in communities where lower income people are friends with higher income people and sort of are there those kinds of cross-class relationships? Right, that's and that's a good at. point you're making about yeah. communities here because the data that we have is by county. We're never looking at actual individuals. Right. We're just looking at places. So the question is, what places have a lot of people who have friendships that uh, include people who are not uh, similar to themselves if you are a, from a humble background? Great. So right. that's, and, and, that's what and they're to looking be, at. We're, and to be fair, they're looking at 25 to 44 year olds, most of whom do use Facebook. So. Uh, 
So <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, no, no, no. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's uh, more, I want to be more than fair because I think it's an incredible data set, and lots mm -hmm. of people use Facebook, and they have limited themselves to the ages twenty five to forty four. That's a good point. So they're old enough to be earning money. They're in the labor force. Uh, so we have some estimate of how well they're going to do in life. And yet we know uh, a lot about their friends because uh, people in that age group tend to use Facebook to communicate with their friends. So um, now one of the things that I'm concerned about with that study, though, and it was, a, it was a concern to me when I first looked at it was, well, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So what's the chicken and egg problem uh, that you see in this uh, data set or this argument that they have that friends cause social mobility? Yeah, and I think part of, part of the challenge is exactly that, is the timing of the measurement of everything, right? So if we're looking at social mobility and how well you've done as an adult, uh, I, I would imagine that a, even a person from relatively humble background, if they've managed to raise themselves up through the income distribution and done relatively well for themselves, they're much more likely to have adult friends um, of higher socioeconomic status. But that suggests, you know, perhaps that came first, right? They raised, you know, they experienced the income mobility and then they made friends. And I, I think we want to be a little bit careful about, are you making friends and that's helping you find opportunities and become higher income? Or, you know, it's, as you say, the chicken and the egg problem is very real here. And um, but I, I think one of the nice things we're doing in the study is kind of being very careful about thinking about the timing of each of these and which is likely to come first. So they sort of uh, assume, let us say, pretty much assume that what comes first is the friendships and then the social mobility comes as a result but it might be the other way around. The places where you have uh, a lot of social mobility, you're gonna have places where a lot of the friendships are gonna be across class lines. So, so we begin by sort of saying, well, let's look at things that happen well before that, early in life. So I think in my view, the biggest finding we have is that the nature of the family that you're born into is extremely important. So could you just sort of uh, tell our listeners how, how we measure that? We're going to think about a lot of different measures of social capital, but one of them is uh, what we're going to call family capital. And family capital is something like what fraction of women and perhaps mothers, particularly in a community, are married. So it's that family capital measure is what percent of 35 to 40, 40 year old women are married, what percent of births in the past year were to single mothers, sort of the inverse of that, and then what percent of children live with both parents or live with two parents. Um, and so we're kind of thinking about the how intact parents, families are in a community. So I think, you know, James Coleman said that best when he said, uh, you know, it's, a, it's very difficult to raise children. And uh, it's very, very difficult if you're a single mother or a single father. Uh, and it's your burden entirely to do. And uh, 
if you've got some help, it makes a huge difference. Two parents are better than one. And so I think that's basically our measure is we're looking at counties where most of the families or more of the families are uh, are, are um, married. Uh, there's, there's two parents in the household. And we're saying, maybe that's really important for social mobility. So if you've got two parents helping, you know, as you're growing up, that might be a huge advantage that you have over somebody who no matter how loving and caring that person is, they have just fewer resources than a two-parent family. I think that's sort of our point. And we find a pretty good correlation there, don't we? We do. I mean, we find effect sizes uh, for family capital that are as large as, you know, what we see for cross-class friendships. So I think, you know, the effect sizes are quite large. Um, I, I think... I want to be a, a little, I would maybe modify your statement just a little bit, which is uh, that I would say, even if you were a single parent, that if you were living in a community where more of the households were married households, that you're, what we're measuring suggests that that still would be better, right? That, yeah, that's uh, a good yeah, point, right. because so, <laughs> we're looking at the individual family, and I sort of drifted off into that kind of language. I shouldn't do that. It's places where you have a high density of households which are two-parent families, are the places where you see the most uh, social mobility. So even if the family is not a two-parent family, they're living in a community of two-parent families. And there's lots of resources in that community that might be drawn upon by the child. Maybe more parents who are willing to coach Little League or soccer, you know, whatever, kind of engage in those kind of activities that your kid could also participate in, but you have sort of more parents that are able to have that time to do those kind of extra things. Well, that brings up the second thing that we looked at, which was sort of what we call community capital. Um, a lot of this conversation is taking place in the context of social capital theory. Friendships are a form of social capital, and that's one of the things that Chetty brings out in the study, and I think that's a very important contribution. So friendships are a form of social capital, but social capital can also be the organizations in a community, whether it's religious congregations or whether it's um, uh, uh, sports associations or Girl Scouts or whatever it could be, you might uh, have... Um, you might have institutions in the community that facilitate social mobility. So what do we find when we take a look at the role that the organizations, civic organizations and, and so forth play in, in um, boosting the chances of, of getting ahead? So for the community organizations, for kind of this belonging to a variety of organizations and in the community and the like, uh, we found we find effects, but they're about half the size of the effects of family capital and um, of the bridging variables that we find. So it's also important, but not as important as sort of where we the family is the biggest driver, the community organizations also play a role. Uh, then they don't play so much a role in the other thing that we look at, student achievement, how much, because that's how we got into this project. I can remember when we first began, we had no idea where we were going to end up, but we began by saying, we suspect that one of the things really important here is how much kids are learning in school. And we have some pretty good data on that by the county in which you live. So we looked at counties where schools tend to be, kids are learning more. And what do we find with, a, with our student achievement 
variables. So with student achievement, the family capital measure matters a lot for student achievement. Uh, the community capital doesn't matter for student achievement, which I guess, I don't know if that makes sense or doesn't make sense, but, uh, and we're measuring student achievement here by average test scores for third to eighth graders. Uh, and what we're seeing there is that it's family that matters the most for those, for that measure, for that student outcome. So student achievement is driven more by the family, but we only are measuring student achievement in elementary and middle school. We're not really looking at high school and those community organizations that might be playing a much bigger role in adolescence, late adolescence, and, and become drivers there because we do find it affecting social mobility, right? We find achievement affecting social mobility. We find family background and we find community. All three of those things uh, are playing a role in in what's uh, what's uh, uh, driving uh, opportunity, moving up the, the social ladder. Yes, exactly. Uh, so how about then friendships in high school? Because one of the nice things that the Chetty team did was they measured uh, friendships in high school with their friendship data. They asked people, who were your closest friends in high school? Smart idea. And well, I guess Facebook just does that automatically, but they took that information and they calculated for uh, those uh, people for whom they have that kind of information. They calculated a high school friendship thing, which it is that sort of uh, cross class or is that just sticking with your own social class and you, you're not getting any, any um, leverage from, from your friends uh, in high school. So what role is that playing in, in the whole picture? I, I agree. I, I think the data project here that they've endeavored to, that they've put together is amazing. So um, having this measure of what high school friendships look like and whether your high school friends are in families that are higher income than yours, that's a, a really interesting, cool measure. Uh, and it, it matters, it affects income mobility, but the effect sizes are smaller. So, um, you know, we see larger effects for family capital, larger effects for community capital, larger effects for student achievement than we do for those cross-class high school friendships. Um, but it, there's an effect. So that's part of the story, but yes. it's not the story. Yes. I would say that it's sort of a secondary story rather than the main story. And the main story is family, uh, learning at school, uh, community, and um, and then we can actually explain with those variables just about the whole story. We don't need friend, adult friendships. Adult friendships are there. The Chetty's correct. There is a relationship, but you don't need it to explain social mobility. You can explain the variation among the counties with uh, with these other variables and. Uh, it could easily be interpreted as showing that uh, that adult friendships are a product of all of this uh, earlier stuff. What happened in school, what happened in the home, what happened in the community. It's all a product of this earlier stuff rather than the driving force in the whole picture. I, th I think that's a, a certainly, you know, we I can add it to the model and we um, get very little increase in the amount of the variation and income mobility that we can explain. So it doesn't seem to be adding a lot of independent variations. I, I, I yeah, I completely agree with your characterization here that um, it, it's likely that a lot of those 
predecessor factors are really what's driving that adult bridging um, and that family, personal achievement, community of factors matter more. But. So somebody's going to have something critical to say about our work. I know that. Sure. <laughs> uh, so what are they going to say? Oh, well, what are they going to say? What would you <laughs> anticipate is, is the criticism that we have to worry about? You know, certainly one thing that's, that's obviously uh, a limitation of what we've done here is we're just looking at counties. That yeah, I mean, I think individuals. Ha having individual level data would be amazing, right? And I think it would give us a slightly different story of thinking about, you know, does it matter if you grow up in a single parent home or a two parent home? Does it matter, you know, sort of what the specific experience of each person is, which is a little bit different than asking kind of what is your community like? Um, and I think it would ask, it would answer a slightly different question, but I think that would be a really useful piece to add to the story that we don't have the data to do. Um, uh, but certainly I think that would be a great additional approach to ask the same question. Um, right. Now, of course, uh, the other big thing about our study that differs from the Chetty study is that we we control for state fixed effects. We put state as a technical term, so I apologize to our audience, but state fixed effects means that we're only looking at things that are happening within each state. And Chetty and his team never did that. They didn't look at what was happening within each state. They just looked at the picture across the country. And we sort of suspect that they're attributing a, a lot to uh, this friendship thing that's really due to other things that vary across the country that have nothing to do with that in, in particular. So we sort of think that, you know, you've got to look at this thing within each state in order to isolate what's really going on here. But I don't know, I suppose there's another point of view on that. I, what do you think? Do you think that we've done the right thing here and we can defend this or... Let's, oh, let's, uh, I mean, I, I think putting the state, obviously I did it. So I think putting the state fixed effects in is the right thing to do. But, uh, and, and basically what we're controlling for anything that's kind of similar across all the counties in a state, um, but may be different across states. So whether that's state policies that are affecting income mobility or just parenting culture, community, you know, anything that can put political affiliation, um, anything that's sort of the same across all the counties in the state. So we're comparing within state, as you said. Um, and it does explain, it knocks down the effect of that adult bridging variable on income mobility by about half, right? So it is picking up a decent amount of, of um, sort of thinking about the effect of adult friendships, even sort of using their similar kind of specification. Um, so, sort of the question is, or a potential criticism is, are we over-controlling, right? So are we capturing something in those state fixed effects that really ought to be in our cross-class friendships variable or really ought to be sort of left there, right? Are we pulling out some of that variation? Um, no, I, I think, 
you know, it, it's sort of the lesser of two evils, right? Because we're also leaving out lots of other things that are probably important for social mobility. Um, although what they are offhand, I'm not sure. <laughs> Sure. Um, well, no, so the, no, there's I mean, a the lot of variation of... by region across the country. We know there's a lot more social mobility in some parts of the United States than others. So, you know, there's just a lot of a lot of other factors that that go there, into it. But, and the and the benefit of the state fixed effects is we can just kind of without having to collect data and measure and try to capture each one of those individual factors across states in in a great way that uh, we can use the state fixed effects and kind of pick up all of those factors. Um, so I, I, I prefer having it there. I think that um, we're kind of capturing interesting variation across states that we can sort of worry less about omitted variables that would be biasing our estimates. But yeah, well, I sort of feel like it this way. If you can't find it within the state, you better worry about it. <laughs> analysis is is attributing to uh to friendship something that really um other things are 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 driving it well that's our project and we're looking forward to hearing from the world out there you put out a paper and then you wonder does anybody think this is at all important so what do you think are, what's the policy significance of all of this Oh, well, I, I mean, I think that the policy implications end up being very different. So I think if we're worried primarily about cross-class friendships, then the policy implication from Chetty's results are things like, what can we do to put children in low-income households more in contact with children from high-income households to kind of foster those friendships? Uh, but what we're saying is that, you know, family matters, community engagement matters, um, and, and that's a very different sort of set of policy implications of thinking about how do we support um, marriage, how do we support uh, in, in getting involved in our communities and in our, in our civic organizations and our churches and, and kind of all of the assistance that those kinds of organizations provide to young people. How do we support children's achievement and ensure that they're doing as well as they can? Because we know that matters too, right? And those are... Um, sort of different kinds of policies than thinking about how do we foster cross-class friendships. So. Yeah, I quite agree. It's a, yeah. it's a matter of, do we really want to build strong families, strong communities, strong schools, or do we want to build strong friendships? Yeah. And I would say they point, the two interpretations of what's going on here are, are, are pointing in quite different policy directions. So I think the, uh, the studies are, are very relevant to the policy debate that's out there. And, and I'm sure we'll be having some debate months to come. <laughs> All right. Well, oh. thank you very much, uh, Angela, for joining me on the podcast to discuss our study. Uh, I, I thank you for, for joining me today. Yes. Thank you for having me, Paul. And thanks for an enjoyable work project together, too. So. I have been speaking with Angela Dills, a professor of economics at Western Carolina University in Cullowhee, North Carolina. She is an author with Danny Shaquille and myself entitled, Our Connections, The Way to Get Ahead. The paper is now available on the website of the Harvard Program on Education Policy and Governance. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.